Hello and welcome to the official podcast of Palate Exposure, featuring Alona Thompson, a podcast for those seeking the ultimate in wine, food, and travel. Each week, she interviews winemakers, chefs, celebrities, and a variety of guests that shape the way we enjoy life. Okay, I'm just going to take a deep breath right now. Um, <laughs> Sorry about that. Yeah, and I'm, I'm feeling a little of a clump for sure. I mean, as you might imagine, I have a lot of friends in both Napa and Sonoma, and what they're going through is just very, very tough for me to absorb. I'm kind of vicariously living through them and their stress levels. Well, I can tell you a little bit about what strategies we're implementing. Okay. Um, now, one of the things that I think is really good is that people are going to pick their Cabernet when it isn't raisins. Early picking. I, I think, you know, there's been a, a, a down, downward spiral in the quality of Napa Cabernet. As the price got beyond the reach of anybody with a lick of sense, they've been making Cabernet for stupid rich people. And stupid rich people want raisins and alcohol and sugar. So the typical Napa Cabernet is 17% alcohol, 2% sugar, and smells like pork. And that is a tragedy. And, 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 and excessive hang time is, I mean, because that's what the Chinese billionaires want. Are you faulting anybody in particular? for wanting it? Is it the consumer or the media that started this? Well, it was the, it, 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 it was, do you, do you know why Napa Valley is famous? Mm. Napa Valley got famous for, for uh, winemaking before there were hardly any wineries there. Oh, what it was famous for Stonefruit, you mean those days? I'm talking about The Most Happy Fellow in 1955. It was a Broadway hit about the most happy fella in the whole Napa Valley. There were only like 10 wineries in the Napa Valley at that time, but everybody walked out singing the tune. And uh, you know, if Sonoma had had two syllables instead of three, maybe they'd be the, the famous area. Uh, that's how it got started. Same thing happened in Walla Walla. Walla Walla got famous for Cabernet long before there was any planted there. It was all coming from Red Mountain, but people just liked the college town. So uh, anyway, that's the thing that started the real estate boom going crazy. That Napa became a place like, like Bordeaux where billionaires would want to build a monument to themselves. And like everybody else in the industry, they didn't care if they made any money. But they did want for the wines to sell for a lot of money. And you kind of have to do that if you're paying $250,000 an acre for the land, plus 400,000 for the mailbox. Uh, so you, you, you gotta be over $100 a, a bottle just, just because of that. And most people wanna be, you know, three, 400. And that's just too much. But why did the land become so pricey? Is it because everybody wanted to be there? Yeah. Okay. So the land value dictates the price points, but then at some point. Absolutely. Yeah. 
there's this um, mindset that takes hold that sweeter and fruitier is better. What, what's the genesis of that in your observation? We've had 26 years of unparalleled growth of an average, let's just call it 10% per year. Mm -hmm. Well, that means that at any given time, you have 10% of the people that are drinking wine are passionate, inexperienced newbies. And they like sugar. And then it takes a while for them to get tired of it and to be interested in something more profound. They often start with white Zinfandel and Moscato. And then after a while, they kind of, they'll go to the buttery Chardonnays and then they'll get tired of those and they'll start looking at reds. It takes a couple of years. And uh, now that the market is flat and has been for two or three years, that means there's nobody new in it. And the craving for, you know, Pepsi Cola wine has diminished quite a bit. And people are getting more and more interested in wines that aren't boring and wines that aren't, uh, 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 what do I want to say? It kind of reminds me of popular music. What does it take to get somebody into classical music? That's probably not where they're going to start. Um, now, COVID has changed that to a certain extent because apart from people like you, the hand cell shops and certainly all the restaurants, the third party opinions that would turn you on to an unusual wine like a Saint Laurent are just not there. And so what people are doing more and more is going back to the old standbys and just trying to find a cheaper Cabernet. So a little bit of a backlash there. We don't know how it's going to sort out. Do you feel that it's also a bit generational? And I'm not saying specific to millennial, but younger consumer, they're just not attached to any particular point of view that they learn differently. They you have so much more access to information at their fingertips that they probably are much more likely sure. to ask each other than they would a, a voice of authority. Well, uh, I mean, I think we need something like TripAdvisor where they can talk to each other. I'd like to see, here's what the winery has to say. Here, here's what we are telling each other uh, that kind of conversation, especially about an unusual wine. So I have uh, Casemates is one place where I do this a lot. It's the only flash site I know of where I can put a sale on there and I'll have 100 to 200 comments in 24 hours and we'll go back and forth about the technical aspects and, and then people really geek out on it and we'll send out some wines to our lab rat uh, that will look at them and they'll, they'll give us the straight skinny. They don't like them, they'll say so. And, uh, and so there's an area where we have some trust happening and some dialogue happening. And what they like about me is I'll just tell them the truth. I'll, and it's called Taste Me? Taste Mates. C-A-S-E-M-A-T-E-S. -E -E uh, the reason it's called that is uh, 
they have a deal for like a three pack or something, but then a much better deal for a case. And maybe you don't want a case. So that means you get a hold of your friends or you get a hold of other people in your area or you try to talk to the people in the office and, and figure out a way to split a case to save money. And that makes the whole thing go a little bit viral. But those are the kinds of conversations that we really need around and, and, and I'm talking about, there's maybe, maybe 20,000 wines in the three-tier system that are available that could end up in a grocery store. But there's easily half a million wines that never will be in a grocery store. And, uh, and part of the paradox is with the state barriers, restaurants and shops can't, aren't even legally allowed to buy those wines. And so the experts have less access what's going on than just you know the average joe millennial fascinating so winemakers this is part of what we try to coach our clients their winery clients is to is you know how do you work instagram you know how do you uh you know how do you talk to these people yeah no it's definitely it's a digital media question because that's how they consume information mm -hmm. so i think a lot i just was um, listening in in the three-tier symposium for the last couple of days, actually. And that was the centerpiece of the conversation. How do you communicate to the end user, to the consumer? What's the most effective ways? That's a whole other piece, but I think it's a necessity for a small producer to hop on. Of course, on that's, that's not the three-tier system. No, no, no. It's just the three-tier symposium is the name of the event. Uh, yeah. But and they did talk about wholesale pieces of it as well. but. Um, I was fascinated by the DTC discussions because COVID accelerated so dramatically right. uh, need for the wineries to talk direct to the consumer, whereas before there was a lot, a lot more going on with distribution and all the travel that was done and all the kind of energizing the troops, the boots on the ground, a lot of effort and energy and marketing dollars went there. But now I'm so glad to hear that I boycotted the symposium this year because last year, all they ever talked about was how do you kiss ass with a with a wholesale rep, and uh, and no winery should do that. I mean, unless you're a million cases, you should not waste your time trying to you know do contests and buying deep dish for people that don't give a shit about your brand and will never show it. They 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 can't show it because you know they only have nine bottles in that bag that they show. They switch them out once a week. So that means there's only a few hundred wines that can go out there and it's never going to be your bottle. So uh, really to be in the three tier system, unless you have the clout, uh, you're just wasting your money. You're just tied up with. Uh, so I was very frustrated when they first put that thing together and, and they were just fighting the last war. They were telling you good advice from 30 years ago. Uh, yeah. I'm so glad that they've they've uh, started to put some DTC advice out there. Maybe I'll maybe I'll come back next year. Yeah, actually, I found some of the discussion. I mean, I didn't. I'll be honest with you. I didn't learn a whole lot of new stuff. But that to qualify that uh, is because I've been studying digital media. For you a know a lot years. already. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I mean, again, it's just I put a lot of time and effort and energy into it, and I've been, you know, repeating the same thing to a lot of my friends that, you know 
own the wineries or work in, in that space and marketing, yeah. that it's so important to take control over the message, not just own your brand, but own the brand message. And please, please create a relationship with the consumer. I've been preaching this for easily several years now, and well, now it's finally happening. So I'm thrilled about that. Well, um, if there are any wineries, small wineries listening to this, here's my biggest piece of advice. Um, there's a guy named Peter Marshall that wrote a book called the 80-20 marketing strategy. Mm -hmm. And this comes from the idea of, uh, you know, like, like 20% of the people in a room own 80% of the shoes. And, uh, but what he says is that it's fractal, which means 20% of the 20% own 80% of the 80%. That means 4% of the people in the room own 67% uh, of the shoes. And 20% and, and of the 20% of the 20% own 80% of the 80% of the 80%. That means that 0.8% of the people in the room own half the shoes. So what that means, we've got a list of about 3,000 people, and we analyze it all the time to figure out where the whales are. You know, that's a, a Reno yeah. term. You know, go to Las Vegas, and they're always, you know, if you're a whale, if you're going to blow $100,000 in a weekend, you're going to get, you know, a real nice hotel room and all the drinks you want and possibly a stripper. Uh, they're going to treat you right because you're important. Yeah. So what we found is that we can analyze our customer base by their purchases. I got a guy up in Seattle that's bought 90 packages in the last two years. I don't know what the hell's matter with him. That's a super fan. Yeah, but he's my number one super whale. And, uh, you know, I know his dog's birthday. And uh, so what I'm saying is you can concentrate your efforts on, uh, I mean, every, every one of our super whales gets a bottle of champagne on their birthday. Uh, That's awesome. And, and it's really, we have about 50 super whales. These are people that have spent more than $2,500 and uh, about 200 whales that have spent, you know, at least, at least 10 $75 packages. And, uh, and we pay, pay most of our attention to those people. Champagne, though. What kind of champagne? I have to ask because of the comments that you made. Well, like, sparkling Grenache. Of course. I was going to say, really it's champagne. not French. It isn't, it isn't really champagne, but it is better yeah. than champagne. Of course. <laughs> um, no, but I, it, it's very telling that you really nurture those relationships and they're highly personalized, high-touch relationships, which is what everybody should be doing. Those are the people that sign your paycheck, really, in a sense. Absolutely. So wise advice, you should have been part of this. And, you know, you'll be hardened to learn that it was brought up, that it was really important to foster those um, direct relationships. And again, it was already happening in some way, but COVID just really lit a fire under that whole situation. Um, so now people are forced into that space. and. Of course, those that are not used to digital space and even that type of consumer relations like you're describing, 
you know, they initially, I think, were a bit intimidated and stressed, but the message that I heard, which I fully agree with and embrace, is just have fun with it, you know, and stop putting up bottle shops and shots and, you know, your hand with a glass in it. We've seen it so many times. Just something out of the box or some innovative. Just you have positive. to add value. Uh, exactly. What I've done is I, I have a cooking show on YouTube called Gracious Living in the Time of Corona. Oh, that's so cool. I'm going to watch it. Yeah, it's really good. And and part of my thesis is, uh, well, let's take my episode on duck breast. There's nothing easier to cook than a duck breast. Really? I happen to be a huge fan of the Phillips air fryer. Okay. And you just take a couple of duck breasts, put a little watery seasoned salt on them and stick them in there for, for 12 minutes and you've got yourself a super meal. Now, why are you not gonna do that? Because duck breast costs $25 a pound. I was gonna say. Think about it. If you wanna have a delicious meal that you made yourself, and it costs, I mean, that's two duck breasts, eight ounces a piece, satisfying meal for two people for 25 bucks, all in, plus, you know, maybe some grilled tomatoes and a salad and, and a nice bottle of wine that you don't have to pay corkage for. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, you're out of there for a whole lot less than you would at a really fine restaurant. No, but, well put. And you can't screw up duck breast. Yeah, I guess you can always. That's what the whole show is about is, is you know, yeah. we have a, a, I've got a, uh, how to shuck oysters, how to, how to, uh, how to order takeout sushi beyond the California roll. And so I just go through all the little pieces and I tell you, uh, of course, that goes great with Saint Laurent. I got one on paella, uh, perfect steak. It's a five minute, there's nothing to steak. Stick it in the air fryer and that's it. <laughs> I'm in, I'm gonna need to watch. I love to cook and I'm always looking for good tips and just even camaraderie. It's nice to see somebody having fun in the kitchen. Yeah, yeah. Uh, um, that's, that's a way to add value and create a personal relationship uh, without just flogging your own brain. No, I, I agree completely. Um, so again, it turns out that I have a lot of listeners that are in the trade um, and wineries and such like that. I really anticipated this podcast to be mostly um, consumer focused, but as it turns uh -huh. out, a lot of your peers are listening. So, uh, you know, I think anything that you can do to really reach out and start that conversation with your audience, whether it's through the language of food or some other love language, you need to be doing this and doing it now. And I do mean need, it's a matter of survival these days. So please do that. Well, um, you're right. You know, we never, we don't have a tasting room and our wines don't, they're really hard to sell the restaurants. It's so competitive, competitive. We thought those were bad things, but now we're, we kind of thank God that we didn't take a hit in either one of those areas because we weren't even playing. Uh, I, I think that what's been exposed in the recent months in particular is our vulnerabilities, personal as a society. I mean, look at COVID and look at, again, going back to the fires, 
the harvest was supposed to be smooth sailing from what I heard yeah. from most folks. And all of a sudden they be, it, it just threw it into huge upheaval. And um, it's, it's by no means, by no stretch is it over, it's just beginning. So well, I, I, I can share a little bit with you about the strategies we're coming up with for smoke. I would really love that. I know you're a pioneer in certain practices such as reverse osmosis and things of that nature, please. Well, unfortunately, the reverse osmosis process that I came up with for smoke tank um, makes it go away, but then it comes back. Yeah. And uh, we're really not sure why that's true. There's this theory about uh, the sugar bound forms breaking down. I'm certain that's not true, but everybody mm -hmm. believes it. But it comes from somewhere and we don't know why. Um, and I, we've got some membrane processes uh, that, that are very effective in pulling it out. But the wine's gonna take a hit. So you have to make a big wine and, uh, and then there's going to be a trade-off between the parching tannin from the smoke and the core of fruit. That, so, so you want to start with the biggest one you can. Um, so my strategy for that is to take the must and draw off as much senier as you possibly can. It'd be great to get two-thirds of it off as rosé. Uh, because we can treat the rosé. We can pull the smoke out of a rosé. And now you have a concentrated red. Uh, you may have been concentrating the smoke, but you're also concentrating everything else. So, so that should be treatable either with the Contech technology or the Wine Secrets filtration technologies. And, uh, and then if it works, you bring the rosé back. You put it through malolactic so it has some buttery character that will coat the, the tannins and, uh, and then you, you put the wine back together. And mm -hmm. then maybe we're looking at a few little enhancements like little, like aromatic exotic woods like cherry wood that can add a little more fruit you know, different kinds of yeasts that produce more fruit. And, uh, you know, we're, we're catching up on it. We, we also have this material that I think is just going to become a standard in the industry. It's called uh, parka. Like okay. It's just a wax that you spray on the fruit and it enhances the cuticle and forms a barrier to smoke. But mm -hmm. you put it on there before the smoke hits has a lot of other advantages in preventing rot and uh, cracking and sunburn and raisining. So, and it's really cheap, like $35 an acre. So uh, I think, you know, I'm advising a lot of vineyards that just, whether it's, whether you have a wildfire or not, you should probably put the stuff on there anyway. And, uh, and then that might allow us, it, it, it uh, excludes about 80% of the smoke. Wow. Yeah. But there's, it's still not a perfect system is what you're saying. There's still some smoke taint that it leaves behind that nothing can be done about. Uh, yeah, not, none of these are perfect. You have to kind of put them all together. And the answer will be different for every winery. Winers that have crop insurance, 
they have to figure out how to how to demonstrate that their crop uh you know was lost yeah there are a chain of custody issues when you can't get an analysis for mm -hmm. and uh of course while you're waiting for the analysis your crop is shrinking so if you if you got 75 percent coverage you know you may not have 75 percent of the tonnage that you started off with by the time somebody wants to pick it so got it that's very tricky I some of the vineyards that you source from affected oh yeah oh yeah oh so how does it how does it land on you what are your thoughts on your own contracts great well it's a, it's a pretty long Oh, oh, you're talking about for my wines? Yeah. Well, the only one I'm worried about is a Dry Creek Zinfandel. Okay. Um, and we're just going to see. Uh, I guess I'm a little bit worried about the Petit Monsang I get out of Woodland. Mm -hmm. We'll just, you know, white wines are easier. So I'll uh, just run it separate and see what we got. So the consumer, of course, um, is going to, uh, you know, I'm waiting any day for some big publication that shall not be named to um, start talking about it extensively. They already have, but just really to characterize the vintage. They certainly did that with 2017 and virtually every conversation. Well, and the, I Men had, the Mendocino, uh, what was that, 14? Yeah. Yeah. So you know, the consumers were convinced, are convinced, excuse me, that 2017 is quote unquote fire year. And that really impacted the sales dramatically. I'm assuming 2020 right. will be even worse because, um, you know, there were some problems, at least in Sonoma County with lower yields because of the frost and chatter right. and stuff like that. So right. we're looking at an economic disaster for 2020 from between well you know we were already in a disaster uh we have too many grapes okay so there was a real grape glut despite the increasing appetite for cabernet it's really weird that the market hasn't caught caught up so we have cabernets that normally would sell for 20 dollars a gallon selling you know people lucky to get three uh and then now all of a sudden we're out so, you know, some people will pull their vines and put in something else. Almonds are great because they, they're going to smoke them anyway. <laughs> you really think that people are going to start planting something other than grapes is what you're... Oh, for sure. They have to. Huh. Uh, but, but, you know, that's not going to happen with my people we're we're buying two tons from this guy and three tons from that guy yeah that, that's a thriving market so but the, yeah. but the guys that have 80 800 tons and are dependent on constellation well constellation is trying as hard as they can to welch on every contract they've got uh you know they're in big trouble so uh yeah. farming is yeah, it's a dangerous sport these days, is what it yeah. looks like. Yeah, any way, you, any way you look at it. Yeah. So you think you still 
will be working on various techniques to mitigate the smoke? I mean, is that oh, yeah. an ongoing concern? Are you, you know? Absolutely. And I've got a little $100 mini consult that I've put out there to address, you know, I'm basically telling them everything I know for a hundred bucks adapted to their particular situation. And, uh, wow, that's a real bargain for people right now needing real time. I think so. Of course, I'm trying to establish relationships. And if we, they don't, if they don't, if they like talking to the kid from Jersey, which isn't always, <laughs> uh, then we develop a relationship on an ongoing basis. That's really what I want to do. Talk about value added. I mean, right now it's, you know, it's really crucial for people to have even the opportunity to talk to somebody that can help because from what I'm hearing, you know, there's some panic that's setting in, in a lot of circles. Right. So. Well, um, getting back to the small guys in the Midwest, I really want to recommend to your people to get, download the trailer for Wine Diamonds. Uh, and it's just three minutes, but really what you want is to get the movie. It's, it's a well-made feature film and it's about what's really happening in what I call the invisible rainbow, the, the American wine revolution that nobody knows about. And uh, the reason they don't know about it is none of these wines are sold in stores, but there are many, many thousands of wineries in every U.S. state, an average of about 100 per state. And they have great stories. So uh, at the beginning of the trailer, uh, Bob Foster, who's a, an eminent wine judge, he's up in Iowa judging their, their wines. And, and he's saying, you know, it's a whole lot harder to make wine in the Midwest than it is in California. California, he says, the California winery once told me, hell, any gorilla can make wine in California. Uh, and so uh, we made a port blend, and you can't call it port because uh, it's a European place name. And so uh, you haven't tasted this wine, but this is, uh, this is our port. It came out really great. We made it in about an hour. We just threw together some petite Syrah juice and some old failed Cabernets from Lodi and some high proof. And we made this stuff, uh, and it's called uh, Any Gorilla. Any Gorilla. Oh, that's so cute. <laughs> yeah. I love it. Yeah. And it's really tasty. I bet. Um, well, I certainly um, am delighted to hear that there's someone like you that has such extraordinary depth and expertise, scientific, microbiology, chemistry, hands-on that can help, you know, try to figure out a game plan because we talked about how it's going to keep happening. So um, there has to be a way to be better prepared for this kind of situation. Well, we're getting a little smarter every year. It's a very tough problem. One of the things I love about it is, you know, back in the 70s, all the winemakers talked to each other. Mm -hmm. uh, and then in the 80s and 90s, a lot of confidentiality going on and, uh, you know, trade secrets. And the industry just got kind of separated and insular. And I'm talking about California. That's not the way yeah. it is in the Midwest. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But now this is a problem that has caused everybody to come together all over the world. 
and I've been running for since December of 2017 an international uh, collaborative working group on smoke taint that has all the top people in, in the world from from Australia and Canada and Oregon and Washington and Italy and UC Davis uh, all working together and sharing information because we all know that it's you know, there, there's not going to be one person that figures this out. It's going to be a real team. The whole industry's really come together. And, and so uh, it's a little like some of the things about COVID. You know, there's a silver lining for sure. Yeah. Less traffic accidents. And, uh, the air is a lot cleaner. Yeah. And now uh, we know a lot more about Zoom than we used to. <laughs> That's right. And I think we spend more time with each other, right? I mean, usually we're running somewhere. And you know, I, I, uh, I'm the president of the Redwood Courtsman Barbershop Harmony chapter in Santa Rosa. And we put together a Youth Harmony Day Camp where we bring high school kids from all over the county and we get Deke Sharon, who's the top acapella guy in the world, uh, to come in and spend a day with them. And they just go nuts. And it's like the funnest thing I do all year. We did it for two years and now we want to do it again this year. Uh, you know, I mean, I knew I was just like smiling all day long as these, these kids, you know, just make beautiful music and they're very appreciative of us old farts, but we really didn't realize just how precious that was. Mm. And uh, now I'm getting smart on things like Choir Creator and Melodyne and Melody Lab and uh, ways to stitch together uh, remote singing and a new thing called Jack Trip that actually allows us to sing together at light speed. And, uh, but, but, but all I'm saying is when we finally get to the point of being able to be together uh, we'll have a much better appreciation of what that actually means to just be with another person. The conclusion of this interview can be found in the next podcast, already available for your download. Thanks again for tuning in to the official podcast of Pal Exposure, featuring Alona Thompson.